every superhero has their origin story. And sometimes non-superheroes have their origin story. In this episode of the Bad Crypto Podcast, you're going to get to discover Travis and my origin stories. And we're on the road. So get ready. It's episode number 27, right? 27? 27. 27 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Fellow Crypto Chicks fan here, Tracy from Logan, Utah. Just wanted to say I have been burning for your podcast in the last three days, and I just finished episode 21, and I called for two reasons. First, you guys are just super articulate and great at teaching, and I wanted to say thank you because I was having trouble wrapping my head around all of this, but also because of you guys. I've uh, gotten my crypto legs under me, and I feel like I have a plan, and I feel super confident moving ahead and investing in this crazy market, not only for the future, but for myself and for my family. And if it's not too cheeky, just in case it hasn't been said yet, for the record, stay bad. Thanks, Tracy. We do love hearing from the crypto chicks and the crypto dudes, all the crypto people. In fact, if you got a crypto dog and a crypto cat, you can have them call us, too, at the phone number that is listed in our show notes, because I don't remember it offhand. Do you? Yeah, I do. It's a 708-885-9030, and Joel, they would be called crypto doges. Awesome. You have a good memory. Uh, I don't have the notes in front of me because we are in my 2015 Mustang driving into the mountains of Colorado to the Nexus Earth Conference that is taking place today, tomorrow, and the day after. And I just made this evergreen for people who are listening later because it's always going to be today, tomorrow, and the day after somewhere. Yes. So I guess this episode is called On the Road with Joel Travis, right? Yes, we're having a bad crypto road tripto. On the road again. On the road again. Well, wait. can't wait to get on the road again. Technically, this is our first time on the road. That's right. We've never so, actually had a road trip. Yeah, so it would just be on, on the, the road. <laughs> on the road. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time that we've been on the road. But next time we go on the road. Yes. Like when we drive back. Oh, that'll be on the road again. That'll be on the road again. Yeah, maybe we should do that. (laughs) Anyhow, I'm Joel Calm, sitting in the passenger seat of my car while Travis is doing the driving, and we're going up a mountain right now, and my ears are plugging a little bit. How about you? Mine are as well. Joel really loves the Uber experience, so he likes people to drive him around in his own car. Can you fist bump me? Because <laughs> that's that's Lyft does that, like they'll fist bump. Anyhow, uh, this is a different kind of episode today. There's uh, two things that we're going to talk about, and we feel like, you know, you're really getting to know us and we're getting to know you and uh, it's just one big happy you know uh, coin hug fest and we thought it would be interesting on this particular episode to give you a little bit of a glimpse into 
who we are and how we came to do this podcast. Who are you, Travis and Joel? Yeah. Maybe they don't really want to know. Well, and if you don't really want to know, then this episode is not for you. But if you want to get us to know us a little bit better, then uh, come jump into the back seat of my Mustang. You have to be real small, though, because even though it's a four-seater, <laughs> there's there's not a lot of room for the two rear seats in a Mustang. You know, if, if you had your legs amputated, you know, amputated, oh. it'd be perfect for oh. it'd be perfect for that's, those types. That's horrible. <laughs> Why would you even say that? Well, because there's no leg room. There's plenty there. of, like, torso room. <laughs> they ever sell a car like that? <laughs> now with more torso room. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, this is Travis Wright, who's over in the driver's seat right now. Uh, both of us are, are authors and speakers and technologists and futurists and pastists and presentists and all the ists. But uh, I thought that we would go ahead and maybe just hit on some of the high points of each of our history. So Travis, let's start with you. How did you get into the technology space? We'll just interview each other, right? Oh, is that what we're going to do? I'm going to interview your, your my special guest, and oh, then yeah? I'll be your special I'll guest. I'll be your special guest? Won't very that be, nice. Won't that that's be special? Very, that's very special. Well, isn't that special? So, you know, uh, one of my first, you know, forays into the computer world back in the day, you know, took the took the, uh, the basic computer class in, in high school. And my teacher was horrible. She made it so boring that I literally transferred out in the semester, at the end of the first semester. I was like, I'll come back to this computer stuff later. Yeah, so I actually hung out in the library and took another social studies uh, class. Actually, what was it, the the hour where you where you do your stuff and work on stuff? Social studies. You just wanted wanted to meet the cute girl that was socially studying. Actually, there's a little bit of element of truth to that. Oh. Very nice. Very nicely done. Uh, so, you know, when I joined the military, I was a Russian linguist in the military, went through that process, and uh, got out of the military and went to school at the University of Kansas. And that was really, you know, like 95, 96, where I really spent more time on, on the computer, went to the computer lab quite a little bit. And one of my favorite things ever to do on that involved a, uh, a social message forum, which was really cool back in the day, and um, it got purchased by Go.com. It was called WBS.net, the World Broadcasting Chat Service or something, and um, so it was cool. You could have these conversations with folks all over the world, and since I was in KU, uh, they had a really good internet connection, so you could actually upload animated GIFs, and, and you know, it was pretty fun, and I was like, man, this computer stuff is great, and I was doing stand-up comedy at the time. I need to learn how to build a website. I need a website for my comedy career, right? So I learned how to uh, do HTML and built, built my first website within 36 hours of actually spending real time online. Hmm. So I'd like, you know, saw some friends with doing some BBS stuff back in the day and, and getting on. I'd always, but I always just kind of was like, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do that shit. And uh, then all of a sudden I got on. I was like, oh, man, this is great. So I learned HTML pretty much immediately, built a website, and then kept working on websites and building them and having fun. And then um, 
sort of evolved my career after that. So I left, got out of the university, and uh, my job was selling Yellow Pages <laughs> at GTE, <laughs> which became Verizon. They still sell, they still distribute those books, by the way. They do. They're very thin now. They're prehistoric. Yeah. It's, it's like, here, we're going to drop some recyclable material on your doorstep. Yep. With the sure. intent that that's what you're going to do. You're going to recycle this. Yeah, because here's some extra paper. It's pretty good. So, so from there, I, you know, I was actually intuitively figured out. This was like '96, '97, and I really had figured out. I said, you know what? There's a lot of these people, these business owners. They don't even have their own website yet. They don't own their own domain. They don't have their website. And people are going online and they're looking for like Kansas City plumber. They're not looking for Jimmy Joe's plumbing specifically. They don't care about your brand. They really are trying to solve their problem. So I was consulting with, with businesses and helping them get their yellow page ad squared away, but then also doing a little side hustle and selling them websites and helping them register their domain names and, uh, and kind of going through that whole process there. So that was really where I got the marketing bug because I went to school for marketing and, and journalism, and, but really I wanted to be a comedian. So I just took classes that would help me on the road with that. That was what I thought. Like, I'll take these classes just in case. Because I know I'm going to have a, my star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame someday. <laughs> so, right? But then reality struck. I'm not nearly as funny as I thought I was. You're funny looking. That's true. I'm somewhat funny. I'm rather humorous. Not hilarious. I think you're funny. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> it's so, the mutual admiration society. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll take a pause there and... Uh, and, and maybe connect back to you and say, so how did you, what, what is your foray into the whole thing? So I'm a few years older than you, and I got my first computer when I was 16 years old. It was a TRS-80 Model 1 with 4K of RAM. Good Lord, you're really old. Yeah, and a, <laughs> a tape drive for a storage device, you know, before mm. we even had a floppy drive or before I could afford a floppy drive. And that would have been back in 1980. I was dialing into BBSs on 300 baud modems. Mm -hmm. And so uh, technically I've been in the online world for 37 years. Wow. I know, crazy, right? Uh, and just always had a passion for computers. Never wanted to code. I can't code my way out of a paper bag. Line 10, print, hello. Line 20, go to 10. Right. right, that's it. That's about the extent of my ability. I can do a little HTML, but why would I want to when we have, you know, so many tools now that you don't even have to do any coding? I took a COBOL class in high school right around that same time. It was horrible, and uh, the school was one of the first schools in the country to have the Apple II computers, mm -hmm. and so I learned very early to use both types, you know, the original uh, Z86, which became 286, 386, and then Pentium, basically uh -huh. PC-type processors. It's all about the Pentiums, baby. Uh-huh, and I also learned how to use Macs uh, and Apple computers, and so I still, to this day, go both ways when it comes to computers only. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm Mac and PC. I think there's benefits to both. And I'm a gamer, and I've always been a gamer. And so you have to have a PC if you're going to play computer games, either that or an inferior console system. But mouse and keyboard, nothing beats mouse and keyboard. Uh, anyway, in 1995, I had created a... Um, actually, let me back up to 1994. I remember... 
as a salesman, I wasn't making a ton of money. I also was a DJ. That was my first entrepreneurial venture. I did radio, I did clubs, but then I started doing my own gigs and making some decent money. And yeah, that was it. DJ JC. DJ JC. And I remember going to the software stores and seeing how much software was. And I opened up a computer gaming magazine and I thought, I bet the guys who review the software get it all for free. So I decided to start the Dallas-Fort Worth Software Review, which was basically a 20-page rag that I would create of my own, a zine that I would lay out, design, write, print up, and distribute freely at the software stores. Made a thousand copies of it, distributed it, but when I got on the phone with these software companies... I told him, my name is Joel Com. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Dallas-Fort Worth Software Review. We'd like to take a look at the software. I had the whole thing scripted out. <laughs> and they didn't hesitate at all. And before you knew it, it was like Christmas every day in my house. Packages coming from all these different software companies via uh, postal service, UPS, DHL, uh, FedEx. It was just, it was amazing. In 95? In, in 1994. 94, oh nice. And then um, I went to the Consumer Electronics Show in January of 1995, and my eyes were opened to the World Wide Web. I had already been on America Online, Prodigy, CompuServe, Delphi, Genie, all the online services, but I wasn't really familiar with the internet as, you know, what the web was. Is this Eisenhower? Eisenhower we are Tunnel? currently in the Eisenhower Tunnel. Very cool. And uh, that's where you're passing through the big mountains into the beautiful landscapes. Those of you that are listening, use your imagination. We're in a tunnel, okay? We're in a tunnel. We're in a tunnel. That's, all, that's what we're doing. And we're going to come out the other side of the tunnel and it's going to be this gorgeous vista. Uh, anyhow, I realized I needed to take my software review magazine and put it on the World Wide Web. And so by July of 1995, worldvillage.com was born. It was um, that year there was only 18,000 sites on the web in the world. So I got to help pioneer the World Wide Web. And that's how I got started. 18,001. 18, well, actually, probably was less than that because by the end of the year there were eighteen thousand. Oh. I was out in July, so you should say like about you know 10, 12, 000. 10, 12, 000. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Yeah, so that's uh, and, and now back to you. Is World Village still around? WorldVillage.com is still alive. In, How did you choose that name, by the way? Um, the you know we thought of the internet as bringing people together, connecting the world, and you know how would we be able to. Um, engage with others not just in our communities and not just in different states but all over the world and the world is kind of a village and so we're like world village right on how many people were on your team uh, it was just me and my partner originally and the way that we had software reviews written was I uh, couldn't afford to pay writers so I went on bullet boards and I said um, we need writers and there's the Vista Ooh. look at that isn't that awesome? Not the the operating system for Windows. No, this is, uh, we're looking at beautiful blue skies today, green trees everywhere, and Rocky Mountains. If you've never been to Colorado in the Rockies, there's just nothing else like it. We are really high. And here's a piece of trivia for you here, a piece of Colorado trivia. There are 52 14ers really? in Colorado, 52 wow. mountains that are 14,000 feet or more. Uh, there's no other state that even comes close to that. You know, of course, we've got the Continental Divide and 
it is uh, known as America's winter playground. But I actually prefer it more in the non-snowy months. I can see that. It's beautiful here. That vista is so amazing. It's like such a good view. It makes me want to weep. So nice. So, (laughs) so nice. So... So you were doing these uh, reviews on World Village, and then you oh, built yeah. that up for other stuff. So but what happened is couldn't afford to pay people, so I told these writers, I need reviews, and we will give you the software, and you get to keep it, mm. and send us back a five 600-word review with a few screenshots. Oh, nice. And so I had like 40 people that were contributing to World Village, and that, that's how the site got started. Today, it's not really in use. It's still there. It's still got some decent Google juice. And if I found the right partner that wanted to come in and create content and make something of it, I think that there's opportunities there. So if anybody's listening and you think that throw out some Bitcoin, that's right. Throw me some Bitcoin and you could buy in to uh, one of the oldest sites on the web. Very nice. So that's how I got started. Uh, Back over to you. The next segment of your journey. The next segment of my journey. So... Uh, working and doing yellow pages and uh, one of my good friends at the time we uh, were, were just kind of going back and forth and really diving into this whole internet thing and uh, we decide to build a portal remember they were called portals sure do yeah yeah was uh, what Dil- uh, was world village a portal it was portalish portalish but did we really created a lot of our own content yeah, so we were, became a portal, and we were creating a lot of our own content as well. So we decided to create a website for uh, musicians, artists, designers, filmmakers, creatives to uh, to share their content and to build a community around those types of folks. And so we created what was called Method Laboratories. So it was MethodLabs.com, and so it was uh, we had a film lab, we had the art lab, music lab, design lab. And then we had the Think Lab. And so we had this online community where we had, I don't know, we were close to 40,000 people or more that came to our site. It was uh, basically a PHP, BB, bulletin board type of a forum. But we, we, we basically pimped it out. We made it all um, sort, of, sort of MySpace-ish in the time. So you could actually go in, uh, create your, your profile page, uh, add your own images, build it out, you know, sort of you could HTML it up a bit. And so every artist or musician or whoever created was on the side, they were able to to do that. Uh, we had, you know, filmmakers that were submitting their short films they were creating. Uh, we had music, we had a ton of musicians sending us their independent music that they'd created. So we had so many MP3s. And we, in our music lab, we, cre- we also launched this thing called iRadio Lab, which was a streaming radio. And I actually had streaming radio on my website before I had a CD burner, huh. <laughs> which was great. So we were streaming. We had eight different radio stations that we were streaming. What year was this? This was uh, from 98 to like 2002. You was a pioneer. Pioneer. And we did it all bootstrapped, right? We lived in Kansas City, so we couldn't really get any funding for the whole deal. So that was a part of the challenge. And when it was all said and done, we had literally created five different separate business models that became billion-dollar businesses for other companies. Nice. Right? So which is which was a little bit crazy. So we had iRadio Lab. That was before Pandora, right? Before any of that streaming radio stuff had happened. Before what was the first music? Um, well, there was uh, AudioNet, AudioNet, which became okay. Broadcast.com, right? Which is Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban sold that. Yeah, deal. that was earlier, way earlier. 
Yeah, yeah. So we had that. We had that going for us. We were using like Shoutcast and Winamp and built, built some some customized stuff too to make it make it work well. So, some people are listening are like, we have no idea what you're talking about, but there are some of you that are like, oh, I remember, I remember Winamp and Shoutcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, back in the day, we had to walk 20 miles barefoot. Through the snow. Just to wait for the JPEG to download. Uphill. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and so we actually gave every user on our site 50 megabytes of web space for free. Oh, wow. So you could be joelcom.methodlabs.com, and uh, you were able to have your, you could build your own website there if you wanted. So that was obviously before Dropbox or any of those sort of uh, services. Uh, kind Did of, you have any method actors that were using Method Labs? Uh, you know, I don't believe so. Uh, I don't method actors there were there were some creators that were doing some pretty cool stuff but one thing that we did we sort of branched out into different areas and we said all right you're a musician you're an artist you're a designer send us your designs or your logos and we will bang out t-shirts for you so we also had our own little t-shirt business where they would order 20 shirts or whatever pay, uh, send us the check for their money uh, i think we also had an authorized.net account at the time so people could actually pay for that so we would bang out t-shirts for them and we Whoa! You just over. ran over a cup. I just ran over that, a cup that, that was... ended up on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's I'll jump talk. ahead a little bit now to uh, fast forward to what was your next big move after Method Labs? Uh, next big move from there. You know, I really was I was I was doing well. What ended up happening as a business partner and I, we sort of we we decided to launch a t-shirt business full on, and so we were setting up kiosks and malls and. Uh, just had kind of a falling out because he wasn't very good at uh, keeping track of how much money was coming in and out of the account and doing, a little, doing some doing some uh, uh, extracurricular drug activities some and money was, dis- was disappearing and we were going, what is going down? Um, and so after that, you know, so I've, I've always had the entrepreneurial bug. I'm like, oh man, so what's, what's this next thing? What's the next project? So in 2007, 2008, well then actually I became a, a, a an instructor for a tech institute in Kansas City called Centric Training, C-E-N-T-R-I-Q, Centric because you got to spell things differently. Right. And so I did that for a couple of years, and in the process, I decided that I was going to fix advertising through this startup that we call Atticus, A-D-I-Q-U-S, and it was all about intelligent advertising, using information based on your geo, based on, that was right, right after the iPhone came out, right, right around that time, maybe even a little bit before that different proximity-based deals, kind of before Groupon type of stuff, uh, but then also allowing, injecting ads in different places based on where people were. And, and so we were building that out, and we were four days away from getting our funding of half a million dollars to build this thing out. And I had already trained my replacement at Centric, and so here we are four days away. That is so beautiful right there. Wow. Wow. Four days away from getting funding. He's, he's looking at me, by the way. Looking at these that. trees. Oh, okay. Looking at these trees on the hill. Um, you are so, so beautiful. Yeah, so I get a knock on the door from the FBI. Two FBI agents come to the door. Open and I, up. And I'm like, oh, my God. And they're like, FBI. And I'm like, oh, no, what? And uh, so they basically told us that the principal of the capital firm that we got our, that we were getting our check for from uh, is getting arrested for a stock market FINRA violation similar to what, um, um, what's her name, Martha Stewart did. Nice. So I was like, oh no. So basically we got no check. I had traded my, I had trained my replacement at the, at the job. And so 
I got really drunk that night. <laughs> and, and through the next day, I said, you know what? I can either be a victim and cry about this and woe is me, poor Travis, or I could choose to be a victor and I could say, you know what? What can I do and what will I do instead and to turn this into a win? And what I realized was I didn't have enough connections outside of Kansas City, right? I was like, well, I could do this business right here, but I don't have enough connections. Now I don't have funding. Now I don't have money. So I got, wow, that is gorgeous right there. So we have to, so we had to pivot real quick. And so I decided to create an ad agency at the time. So I said, I'm going to freelance, build this up and created an ad agency called Advangelo. And I said, all right. And I'd went to a conference when I was at Centric uh, at the Web 2.0 conference in San Francisco, met with people like uh, Biz Stone, the founder of Twitter, uh, Jeff Clavier, who's like a big VC. We met some really amazing people. And actually, I got to go to the to Dig, uh, Dig.com. It's one millionth user party. So uh, that was so awesome to meet Kevin Rose and Jay Adelson and like all those other people. Like Tim Ferriss was at that party. And so it was so cool thinking like that was that's a little over 10 years ago. And I was at this party with all these amazing people. And I said, you know what? These guys are they're just like me. I, I think like these guys think. I've already built a badass company, right? I didn't quite get where I wanted it to go. But it's like, I am these folks, right? And so then I started getting on Twitter and building relationships with folks. And uh, picking up great clients along the way, and uh, ended up becoming the uh, digital, global digital strategist and social strategist for Semantic, mm-hmm. for you know the antivirus company for the Norton brand. Yeah. So that was a nice uh, giddy up, and then I was there from like 2011 to 2013. Nice. Go ahead, say, say that again. Yeah, so I was at Semantic then from 2011 to 2013, so it's another great experience. So there we are. Now I'm in 2013. How about we kick it back over to you, Mr. Joe Comp? Okay, well, we're going to take the Wayback Machine way back again to 1996. Okay. World Village had been going for about a year and uh, wasn't making the money that I thought I would make from it and uh, was thinking about going back and getting a job, but I kind of felt like I was supposed to be doing this. And I mean, after all, your last name is Com. Right? I was made for this. <laughs> it was my density. <laughs> and it was one of those times that I was faced with a real challenge, and I, I literally fell to my knees and prayed and said, God, I thought this is what you want me to do. If you want me to do this, you need to drop the money out of the sky, because I don't know how to make this happen. Within a week... I got an email from a guy in Washington State who I never heard of who represented a Japanese multimedia conglomerate that I not only had never heard of, but couldn't pronounce. Mm. They were kind of like a Time Warner in Japan. Uh, now I can pronounce it, Takaraja Misha. Aha, Takaraja Misha. Takaraja Misha. And they Takadada wanted to talk about Misha. Talk about Misha. What? What you talk about, Willis? They wanted to license my content, and I'm thinking as he's talking to me that this could be good for a couple hundred bucks a month or something, but being in sales, I knew that you don't open your mouth when somebody's pitching you, and so I listened, and he said, they want to give you $5,000 a month. I was like, huh? Huh? I'm like, okay, that that will work. You're like, thank you, Jesus. Yep, that's exactly what I said. The problem was solved, and so... That then led me to try some new things, including putting some games 
on my website. They were web games, you know, point and click type things. But um, my webmaster sent me an email and he said, hey, check out what this guy is doing at this site called Springerspan.com. It was a UC San Diego grad student who in his part time was building one of the web's first multiplayer game rooms, coding it in Java. Mm -hmm. And he had a few of his friends kicking the tires on this thing. They were playing chess, checkers, backgammon, uh, hearts, a couple of these other games. And I wrote him and I said, hey, this is cool. I like games. I think there's a big future in this. What if we partnered up? You kept developing the site and I will market it through my existing online venue, World Village. Uh, we renamed it ClassicGames.com built it, added something like 16 games and all, had thousands of people playing on it, and one day we got a knock on our door from a little company known as Yahoo. Of course, at that time, Yahoo was the king of the search engines and the portals, and they wanted to do a deal with us, uh, and eventually they bought it. Uh, it was my first seven-figure deal, and it became Yahoo Games, which was one of the premier online gaming sites for about 17 years, 17, 18 years before they shut it down because Yahoo's a fail now and they don't know right. what they're doing. I love that portal. By the way, uh, I, this I, mountain up here, this is um, this is Copper Mountain. Okay. Which looks different when there's no snow on it. It does look a lot different when yeah, there's no snow on it. It's beautiful on. though. You can't see it all. It goes beyond that peak and then to another peak even higher. Uh, but so, I actually used Yahoo Games quite a little bit. Loved Yahoo Games. I would go in there and just have because you could chat with people while you're playing yep. games. Talk. You could talk a little trash while yeah. you're playing games. So do you remember the avatars you would choose from? There was one of them that was a guy in a red cap, glasses, and a goatee. Yeah, that was me. That was awesome. That was me. And the guy, the one with the blonde-haired boy with the blue cap, that was my partner Aaron, who was the developer, the programmer. He went to work for Yahoo became their chief game Yahoo until he got vested, took a stock and ran. Uh, but that was a really good deal. And, and since that day, I've you know never been in debt. Um, I've never taken venture capital. In fact, I've never taken venture at all from anybody. If I couldn't fund it myself, then, then I, uh, I don't do it. And I built a online shopping site called dealofday.com in 1999. It was one of the first coupon bargain hunter sites, you know, because all these merchants were offering deals for discounts if you shopped online, and it was an affiliate marketing haven for me, just made a lot of money in commissions, and then the dot-com bubble burst in 2000, and from 2000 to 2003, I had laid off everybody, including myself, and for a brief time wondered, since there was no revenue, am I going to have to go do something else? And in my heart of hearts, I knew and I knew that I knew that I knew that the internet was not done, that it would come back with a vengeance. And I was always looking for ways to monetize my website. And in 2004, I discovered something that Google had come out with called Google AdSense, where you would take a piece of code, paste it on your site, and Google would automatically deliver contextual ads to each of your pages when a visitor to your site would click on one of those ads, Google would split the revenue with you and you'd make some money from every click. Well, I very quickly discovered that I could make upwards of $500 a day in passive income with my websites and I taught my friends how to do it and they said, you should write an ebook about it. And I said, oh, 
okay, you think somebody will buy it? Mm. And they said, yeah. So I wrote what Google never told you about making money with AdSense. The first edition came out in January of 2005, and it was an instant hit. Sold $10,000 worth of this ebook the first week, and then it went incredibly viral. Led to a second edition that was $97, sold thousands of copies, and all of a sudden, I'm being asked to go speak in internet marketing events to teach people how do you make money with Google AdSense. I was introduced to a publisher, David Hancock, with Morgan James Publishing, and he thought this would make a good traditionally published book. So you're telling me this ebook, which I sell for $97 and have huge profit margin on, I should put in print and sell for $17.95 and make 75 cents a book? Right. Uh, but I understood <laughs> that the book leads to credibility, that there's a big difference between having an ebook and a physical book. We put a lot of weight into physical books. And so I did it. And the book actually hit the New York Times bestseller. The AdSense list. Secrets? That, and the AdSense Code was the what AdSense it was called. The AdSense Code, yes. Uh, the cover looks like the Da Vinci Code. And it was very strategically released in the stores the same weekend that the film with Tom Hanks opened up. Uh -huh. um, that's not why it got in the New York Times list. It got in the New York Times list because there was a huge demand for learning how to make money online. And it wasn't any kind of weird scammy thing. It was... Google has a legitimate program, and I'm making yeah, actually over $1,000 on Sunday with AdSense, and I'm going to show you how to do it. So I help people all over the world, thousands of people all over the world. And you actually helped me. Oh, yeah. Tell me more. Yeah, so I, I picked up, you know what, I either downloaded your ebook uh, through uh, a website, right? It, I, I don't think I paid the $97. I think I illegally downloaded it, Joel. Sorry. Excellent. Sorry about that. You can pay me now. <laughs> And, and and so, you know, reading through that to understand AdSense and how it was all working, I built websites and uh, put put AdSense on, on all my websites as well from, from some of the, the pioneering that you had done with that. Huh. Well, it's funny because I still get emails from people and messages on Facebook and LinkedIn telling me that, oh, I read your book back in the day and thank you, you know, you helped me. And there's people that wrote me, told me they made a million dollars, you know, from so reading, nice. reading the book. I have, I still have my first check from uh, Google AdSense. It was like $104.15 or something. <laughs> Didn't it feel good though? I love getting the five figure checks and, you know, I'm not going to go over everything that I've done because the show will just go on and on, but I'm just going to hit up a few of the highlights that led me to uh, host and produce the world's first competitive internet reality show, The Next Internet Millionaire, which uh, won an honorary Webby Award in 2007. And I got really connected with all the major players in the internet marketing space, Armin Moore and Alex Mendozi and Mike the Same, which just ran over one of the traffic thingies. And, Excuse me. Actually, that was me. Yeah. And then I got asked to speak at more and more events, including uh, Tony Robbins' stage. I spoke for Tony Robbins three times and taught internet marketing at, um, I can't remember what they call his it's Financial Wealth One or something? It wasn't, the, it was business something or other. And anyway. Business Mastery. Yeah, Business Mastery. I spoke at Business Mastery a few times. I spoke for Harvecker in front of thousands of people. Mm. And... Um, spoke at the London O2 in front of 5,000 people. That oh, was, nice. That was, uh, I need uh, to wear my Depends talk. Because I used to be really scared to do public speaking. I'm, I'm no longer afraid to do that. In 2008, 
uh, because I knew the iPhone was such a big deal when Steve Jobs says, let there be apps. We had one of the first thousand apps in the App Store, and a few months later, we released the iFart mobile app, which we referenced in a previous uh, episode of the Bad Crypto Podcast, and the iFart app went to number one in the world in the App Store, got all kinds of coverage and headlines in uh, papers and publications all over the world in foreign languages, and uh, was a riot. Made us a lot of money. To this day, it still sells quite a bit. Um, and I've been authoring books like crazy on a lot of different topics, you know, including Twitter Power, which is three editions of Twitter Power, and that sold tens of thousands of copies. And uh, over the past few years, I've really dug into the live video space and am presently a brand ambassador for .live, the domain name, for BeLive.tv, a fantastic service that is designed to do two and three person broadcasts to Facebook Live with lower thirds and on-screen comments. It's, it's really cool. Also recently signed with Switcher Studio, uh, which is a Facebook Live app that allows you to use your iOS devices for individual cameras and produce the whole show to, uh, to Facebook Live. And, and that kind of brings us to the present. You know, I know there's a lot of gaps that neither you or I filled in because this uh, history lesson could go on and on. But you and I met in 2013, is that correct? Yeah, 2000. Well, there's one, one final story that, uh, I, because it, it sort of set some of this other stuff in motion. So in 2012, I uh, the Chiefs started off the season completely horrible, right? And uh, the first season they got their first year or the first game of the season they got blown out by Atlanta. And I sent a tweet to the Chiefs. It said, um, "I'm not much of an at KC Chiefs fan anymore. The yearly 30 million dollars under the salary cap is BS. Greedy owners can fo. <laughs> nice. CC at NFL. Nice. Yeah. Three minutes later, the Chiefs. DM me and say, it's your choice to be a fan. You should get your facts straight. CC, get a clue. <laughs> that is not really smart use of social media. Not really good smart use of social media. And so I said, wow. Um, so I took a DM of it. I took a snapshot of my DM, screenshot, tweeted it out. I said, wow, it's good to know that the chief social media team ran by a bunch of uh, teenagers fact, you know, you're under the salary cap for like five years in a row, et cetera, et cetera. So anyways, one, and then I, I sent a picture of that, of that tweet from the chiefs. And then that created this social media shitstorm. Like it was crazy. Like all these people, cause at the time I actually had more followers than the chiefs had on, tw- on Twitter. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, yeah, probably not a good idea. At least, you know, to, you may want to, before you shoot vitriol back out to an unhappy fan, you may want to check them out. But, uh, so all these messages back and forth. Did this really happened? Is this really happened? Oh my God, this was blah, blah, blah. And then the chief blocked me. <laughs> so once they blocked me, I decided to put it on Reddit. So I, I, it was, was literally one of my first posts on Reddit. I'd had, I'd been on Reddit for a while, but I just hadn't posted much. And so I posted that on there, made the front page of Reddit. And there was some people who were like, well, you're, you're being a dick. You're the one being rude. You just say whatever you want on, you know, how rude is that? That never happens on the internet. <laughs> right. Everybody's all polite on there. And what was funny is it, it was just one tweet. I didn't rail on them. I just, I was talking to a buddy on the phone and it was like, you know, this is like the fifth year in a row. They're 25, 30 million. This is ridiculous. No wonder we're getting smoked, right? They're greedy. 
And so it ended up creating this whole thing. And then the community sort of rallied around and had a couple people reach out to me. So we created this thing called Save Our Chiefs. And uh, so we basically created social channels and then we started rallying the community. So we ended up getting nearly 100,000 followers on Twitter, 30, 40 something thousand on Facebook. And we did a crowdfunding where we were able to collect almost $7,000 and we were flying uh, airplanes with banners over Arrowhead each game. Huh. Uh, and then we did it. We did. We were getting on the radio, doing all this stuff, and we did a um, blackout Arrowhead. And so we we, we worked with some uh, sporting cook company. We created these black sweatshirts and blackout Arrowhead. And, and you, pictures from that day. There's like so many empty seats and just black jerseys and black shirts everywhere. It was it was pretty crazy. And then we ended up getting the um, the, the general manager and the coach at the end of the season. They all got fired. They finished the season two and fourteen. And uh, it just became a hilarious story and a use case of social media. And, um, and actually, my first book that came out in January called Digital Sense, that's actually the introduction to that whole story. about It's a tale of two different companies and how they had uh, interacted with, with social media and what to do, what not to do. And the book's all about social business, customer experience, and, and marketing technology. How about that? Yeah. That's a good story. That's fun. I hope uh, so. Now is uh, is nap time. Everybody, get your mat and your milk and cookies. Yes. And, and we're going to take a break here. Uh, actually, we're not. What we're going to do is we're going to jump to how you and I met. Yes. Right. Because every superhero uh, story where you've got you know like a Batman and Robin and wait, which one am I? Well, I'm not Robin. I'm not Batman either. I'm Batman. How about you're Batman and I'm Superman? Okay, that's good. I'm good with that. So we're like the Justice League, right? Wonder Twin powers activate. <laughs> Form of Shazam. So oh. how did we meet? So, um, well, I was actually so as a result of the the Chiefs deal, and then I started speaking at more events because I was at Semantic, right? And um, I was speaking at the Startup Week in Denver in 2013, and our mutual friend Lori Ruff introduced us. I think she sent us an email. Said, hey, Joel, hey, Travis, you and I, you you guys need to connect. And so when we came into town, we uh, we met at some uh, bar restaurant place. Lori Ruff, by the way, just a fantastic human being. I've always called her the heart of social media uh, just because she has so much heart. She really deeply cares about people, and uh, she makes these connections when she thinks that, hey, you know, this person and this person, they just need to know each other because I think that when they do, magic will happen. And so, uh, so we met and we just kind of became casual friends, right? We, you know, we're still waiting, quite frankly, for the magic to happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we didn't live in the same area. We weren't attending a lot of the same events. Uh, but you know, we, uh, you were kind of like a message away and I was just a quick, you know, DM away. So, um, Fast forward to Martech. Would that be when we really reconnected again? Well, no, well, no, that's in person. But you know, really, in the last last couple of years, we were just chatting kind of casually back and forth. But when the when the political season was happening, we were chatting quite a little bit back and forth. Right. We both kind of fell on the same side of the political spectrum, and you and I would commiserate and discuss and laugh and share stories and. Um, it was easy, like, okay, if I need to talk to somebody about what's going on, uh, Travis is there. He'll, he'll feel me, right? He'll, he gets it, and, and vice versa. 
And so uh, our conversations went to that. And then when did they turn to crypto? Well, so I wrote an article in, in Huffington Post in December, and it was all about WikiLeaks and the, you know, the Russian hacks and all this stuff. And, and, I, and so I saw, it was a very heavily sourced article, probably 40, 50 links in that article sourcing all this different stuff. And I said, you know what? I think one of the solutions really needs to be uh, blockchain as a solution to, to if, if people are concerned about somebody hacking an election or whatever, blockchain and identities need to be something that is considered. And uh, so that article was written, had a team uh, of data scientists and programmers reach out about maybe solving, a, solving the fake news problem, right? And so we've been chatting about that and then still you know, was chatting with you about politics and whatnot. And then so our conversation started to be you know, we're weaving around, you know, blockchain and crypto. This and would be back politics. in May, because back in May is when I attended a conference and another friend of mine was talking crypto. And even though for, you know, several years I wasn't really paying attention because I didn't understand it, I finally started paying attention. Mm. And it was just time, yeah. you know, which for me is kind of embarrassing because I've got a knack for seeing things before they're a thing. That's how my whole career has been built on being a pioneer and being there first. And I wasn't first to this one with, with Bitcoin and crypto, but we're still pretty dang early. You know, not, not a pioneer, but definitely an early adopter. And pioneering, um, podcasting crypto in a way that makes it easily digestible for the masses. Anyway, we're talking crypto on Facebook Messenger, and you sent me a message. Do you remember what it said? No, I remember sending the message, and actually, we're going back through our message stream. I think the first message that I had sent you specifically about crypto was like in late January or February. So even unknowingly, just like, whoa, have you seen this? Well, check this out. It wasn't even a conscious planting of a seed or anything. It was just I wasn't wow. interested at that point. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't there. I wasn't clicking. And then I guess you had another friend that was talking about crypto to you. And then so then you and I started having more and more conversations about crypto. And and then it ended up being like almost like every day we would jump on the phone and talk about it. And be like right. blah 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 blah. Oh, what about oh man, this is so crazy. Check this out. What should we get into this? And like oh, we got to get on the Bitrix if we want to buy Ant shares, which became Neo. And so right. okay. And so we're having these conversations. And then I offhandedly said, I was like, he said something and then I go, haha. so how long until we have the Joel and Travis crypto show? And, and immediately, as soon as I saw that, I thought, yes, that we must do a podcast. And I think my response to you was, was something to that effect. Well, the, your, your, your response was a, a little message that said, yes, I'm on a walk. I'll be back. Uh, I have an idea. And then you literally came back, and then your next message is, The Bad Crypto Podcast, a podcast for noobs, and blah, blah, blah. I, was, I think we jumped on the phone and had a phone call after yeah. that, and kind of hashed it out. And uh, Two this- days later, episode one came out. We registered the website. We signed up for the Libsyn account. Um, we got the social profiles. We got and, WordPress set up. And, and two days later, we released the very first episode of the Bad Crypto Podcast, not having any idea what would happen as a result. And boy, were we surprised. Yeah, in our very first episode, the very first day, we relaunched it on July 18th. It got four listens. 
Well, because it came out like just before midnight. <laughs> right. That's true. It yeah, wasn't like, really the official date. Yeah, so the next day I got like, you know, 100 or so. Yeah, so, we right? had 100. Like, oh, somebody's actually interested in this. And then, of course. Uh, so you we know, started ranking. Started ranking. We hit as high as I think number 28 in all of business, number six in investing. Uh, we had one day that we had over 9,000 downloads and we've got friends and peers going you guys found a unicorn um, 150 countries listen to us now and this episode right here will be the one that puts us over 250,000 downloads in about two months and a week and that's all thanks to you guys you're the ones that made this happen and uh, you are part of our origin story and you're part of the ongoing story and you are part of the founding bad crypto tribe because we're planning on being around. The masses have yet to come to cryptocurrency. We are still, all of you are part of the early adopter phase of this industry and the masses are going to be coming in the next couple of years that will start to come. It's going to take years and years for full, uh, you know, mass, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Adoption. Thank you. I, I think, I think, in my perspective, and seeing our growth and how that how that it's going, and then seeing how the market is, you know, because you know we started doing this podcast like two weeks before, you know, Bitcoin's really took off, right? Well, well it in, went up in, in I, I, this next this next wave, current wave, yeah, right. Well, I mean, it's taken off, but here, so it went up, and then actually it went up to three thousand or whatever, then it dropped down to eighteen hundred, then it went all the way up to five thousand. And now it's sitting, and then went down to twenty eight hundred again, and now it's back up to four thousand. And now we're sitting in this holding pattern, right? And so I think some of that volatility scares away some of the masses, right? You hear some of the the fear and uncertainty and doubt on the media. Bitcoin is this fraud, and Bitcoin's a scam, and oh, Bitcoin's dead, and you know, one hundred and seventy times that Bitcoin has been declared dead or something already. You know, here's the thing: nobody knows for sure. It's very possible that governments of the world like they did in China can step in and put the kibosh or at least there's the kibosh by the way yeah. try to put the kibosh on cryptocurrency now the very nature of it being decentralized makes it a little harder to do than something else the government would attempt to regulate so it's still a very risky venture but uh, I think that we've passed that point of no return with it where blockchain technology is here to stay and the innovations that are coming forth for practical use of blockchain and of tokens um, are unstoppable. And the fact that the big banks are getting involved, I just, I can't see the Western world putting the squeeze on crypto uh, when there's already so much money at stake. And it's really the underlying technology underneath it that excites excited me, really, right? As a marketing technologist at this point in my career, having worked at Semantic and then having, you know, demoed 1,200, 1,500 different marketing technologies, you know, and going through this whole process and seeing, you know, that was the thing that got me was like, once I finally understood blockchain, I was like, wow, this is disrupting everything. There are so many industries that this type of technology is going to disrupt. Why? Well, because before, if you have a digital copy of something, I could send that copy to Joel. I could send it to every single one of the listeners in our show. 
and there's no degradation of that quality of that. You know, if I, if I, you know, if when people were on Napster, you're downloading a song, people can download it, whatever. But with digital currency, there is that proof of work, and there is no way to, to send two people the same digital dollar essentially, and then knowing that there's this open ledger and all of these functionalities that we've talked about through that to me was really really exciting you know the cryptocurrency aspect of it is interesting i love how it's disrupting banking i love how it's disrupting a lot of these industries but really it boils down to blockchain in my mind because that right there is the thing that is so so revolutionary and now we are on our way, as I said at the beginning of this episode, to a conference in Aspen called the Nexus Earth, which you heard us uh, interview one of the, uh, the, the principals from that group on a previous episode. And we hope to meet with some uh, real players, movers and shakers in the, uh, the crypto space. Um, and we're going to be shooting some video and reporting back to you with, uh, with what we discover. Um, and we hope you've enjoyed this behind the scenes, the origin story of Batman and Superman, two superheroes <laughs> seeking to take down, well, we don't want to take down the crypto world. We want to bolster, Demystify. Demystify, thank you. Yes. And um, I know this has been a different kind of show for both of us. It's probably a little bit longer, too. I wasn't expecting, we wasn't really expecting to do this sort of show, but this is... We were having conversations, and we decided, hey, let's do this one. And you either like this show or you don't. If this is the first time you've ever heard a bad crypto podcast, yeah. this is probably the wrong one to listen to first. Although it is the origins of it. Or maybe, maybe it's, it's the, the right one. Maybe it's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> <Bad> <laughs> <point>. <laughs> So, uh, thanks for listening, and we appreciate your reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube. Um, I don't know if they review on Spotify and iHeart, but you can listen to us there as well now. Uh, call us, write us at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com, or just go to badcryptopodcast.com and click the contact link to get a hold of us, whether you've got a question feedback, you're interested in sponsoring the show, you've got some ideas for us, uh, you want to send us cryptocurrency, which we really, really like that. And of course, uh, tell them how to get started with crypto, Travis. Yeah, so if you want to get started on the cryptos, uh, one of the best and easiest ways to do that is with Coinbase. Uh, you can get $10 of crypto for free. They actually give you $10 worth of Bitcoin for free once you spend $100 on Coinbase. And uh, they also give us $10 in Bitcoin as well. And th that is great. And, and actually, Coinbase, they've actually had some issues over time. With, some people were a little upset about their lack of c customer support. Just saw a tweet yesterday that uh, they are launching a brand new call center and going to have lots and lots of customer support. So I think that's something that was definitely needed because uh, sometimes getting started in crypto can be a little bit a little bit challenging but uh, if you want to get started on that you go to uh, badco.in forward slash coinbase that's a great way to get started and i would assume that since this episode will hit us over 250,000 downloads that uh, in the next episode we might have a big bad coin giveaway Ooh, big bad bad coin bad big bad giveaway. so stay tuned gang and uh, uh, I'm thinking of something clever to say, and I just, you know, 
trying to pay attention to the road. We got some construction, construction going construction on. We got orange head. cones. Yeah, listen to this. Quit farting over there, Joel. Yeah. Stay back. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.